What's going on, everyone? And welcome in to Blizzard's podcast, filled to the brim with glitchy analysis and freezing cold takes so cold that they're boiling hot. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Hungry Howie's Baton Rouge. Guys, check out their website to check out delivery deals and takeout deals. Right now, they've got an awesome takeout special. Get a large one-topping pizza for just $7.99. Thank you so much to Hungry Howie's Baton Rouge. And guys, if you're listening to us on Spotify, check us out on YouTube. We are now doing video podcasts. Today's episode is packed. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? We're back. We're back. I've got it right here. Plaisance locks have returned. We're going to be locking it in tonight. Hope for the best. Prepare for the worst. But we have the picks. Let's get into it. First up, we've got some NBA news to go over. And not to bring up terrible pasts, but John Morant is really getting into it right now. The Colorado police are looking into how he obtained that gun in the nightclub this past weekend. John Morant is currently under investigation with the NBA and is missing time with the Memphis Grizzlies. According to the Grizzlies head coach, there's no timetable on when he will return. I don't know how I feel about this, but I do know that John Morant might be in some trouble because the NBA has a strict ban on having firearms on any team property. That's buses, planes, locker rooms, and especially arenas. John Morant, you're in some trouble, my friend. Next up, we've got a question for the audience, as well as a question for myself that I'm going to answer, and that is, is Mikael Bridges a superstar? So let's take a look at these stats. Right now, he's averaging 26 points, 6 rebounds, and 3 assists on 54% shooting from the floor and 50% shooting from 3. Now, look, that's only in a 9-game span since he's been traded to the Nets, but... Is he a superstar? Maybe. I don't buy it. To me, I compare this a lot to Spencer Dinwiddie when he was with the Nets the first time or TJ Warren when he was with the Pacers in the bubble. But, hey, Mikael Bridges, if he keeps playing like this, man, he's going to be an all-star. I mean, he's already been a Defensive Player of the Year candidate, and he's going to be a Defensive Player of the Year candidate going forward. If he can continue to shoot from the field like this, my goodness, he might be like the next Kevin Durant or something like that. But like I said, he's on a really bad Nets team right now, and he's getting a lot more shots than he did in Phoenix. But he's shooting at a really, really high clip, which makes me think that it's something that we can look forward to with the Nets uh, after this year. I think it's a bright spot. But yeah, Mikel Bridges, I just wanted to mention all this in this podcast just to say props to you, my man. Nine games in, you're averaging 26 a game. That's pretty impressive. Now, speaking of impressive, we've got Damian Lillard putting up an absolute performance. He had a 30-point triple-double to help the Trailblazers win 110-104 to against the Detroit Pistons. But man, the Trailblazers are in the 10th seed right now, and they are fighting for their lives. God help Damian Lillard. The Trailblazers are 4-6 and six in their last 10 games, and their four wins are to the Pistons, the Magic, the LeBronless Lakers, and the Rockets, okay? It's not like he's out here beating the Suns or the Warriors or the Celtics. I don't think that he's ever going to have a team around him. But what should the Portland Trailblazers do? In my opinion, do this man a favor. He's literally loyal to a fault. Cut this man like off the bait. He's got to go to another team. Please, please, Portland, do the right thing and get Damian Lillard to a place that he could possibly win a championship or even just make the playoffs, okay? He got to one Western Conference Finals, and he either got gentlemen swept 
or just plain out swept against the Warriors, and that's it. Damian Lillard, one of the biggest talent wastes that we've seen in the current NBA, and it's not his fault at all. I mean, the man is almost an MVP candidate, and he's in the 10th seed. But I digress. God bless you, Damian Lillard, and your loyalty. And now we move on to a more troubling story in the current NBA market right now. Are the Boston Celtics in trouble? So in the last three games, they've lost them all. They just lost a heartbreaker to the Cavaliers in overtime uh, last night. Grant Williams was at the free throw line, was like .8 seconds left in the fourth quarter, literally tie game to win the game, and he missed them both. And so the Cavaliers ended up beating the Celtics in overtime, and that was a pretty gut-wrenching loss. But a lot of people are panicking today about the Celtics. I'm not. And why? It's because Jason Tatum missed last night, and they almost beat the Cavaliers without him. Okay, Jalen Brown stepped up. He had 30-something points. It's pretty impressive, but the Celtics, this is a good wake-up call. Now, they fell from the first seed from the with the Bucks, and now they're in the second seed. That is a wonderful wake-up call. Like I said, I definitely think that the Celtics are going to get this together, and they're going to meet the Bucks in the conference finals, regardless of these other teams. I don't know if I buy the 76ers, and I definitely don't buy the Cavaliers, the Nets, or the Knicks. I don't think that they're championship contenders yet. they got to play some better defense. Celtics, good wake-up call. I'm not terribly worried about them, but I will put a small yellow flag, a yield flag, not a red flag, yield flag. Celtics, this warning. Just get it together, and it'll be okay. And now we're going to move on to our NFL coverage, and first up, we've got a report from Trey Wingo that Aaron Rodgers is meeting with the New York Jets. Now, if the Jets end up trading for Aaron Rodgers, does that make them a Super Bowl contender? The answer, obviously, is absolutely. Top five quarterback in the league. He had a bad year last year, but guess who he was thrown to? Almost a whole lot of nothing. Okay, Christian Watson came alive, scored some touchdowns. But outside of that, it was not a very impressive season for the wide receiver core of the Green Bay Packers. But look, the Jets have a really young team. They've got Garrett Wilson. Brees Hall is coming off an ACL injury, but he should be fine. They've got a freaking top one defense in terms of talent and I definitely think that the Jets have a wonderful chance to compete in the AFC East like you gotta think about it the Bills they had a disappointing end of their year the Patriots is Mac Jones even a franchise quarterback and Tua can he even stay healthy the Jets have an awesome chance to win now in this division and become Super Bowl contenders I do think that they should try to go after Aaron Rodgers however this is a cautionary tale we saw this happen last year with the Denver Broncos. They hired Nathaniel Hackett thinking, let's just trade for Aaron Rodgers and have Nathaniel Hackett and Aaron Rodgers just be boys on offense and tear it up. And guess what they got stuck with? The Dangerous. The Sandwich. I, the, I won't even go there. I do not think that the Jets should go all in. And I definitely don't think they should trade more than one first-round pick for Aaron Rodgers. He is so up and down throughout the last few years. He's going on like drug trips to South America. He's going on darkness retreats. And there's no knock against that if you're someone like me or another regular human being. But when you're a franchise quarterback worth $45 million a year, you got to keep your act together. And obviously, we're talking about a human being, and he deserves to be treated as such. But once again, you've got to at least communicate what you're going through if you want these teams to seriously compensate you all of this money. Now, I'm not dogging Aaron Rodgers for being the person that he is, 
But I do think that some of his actions come with social consequences. Maybe not financial consequences, but definitely social consequences. And that is something that the Jets should be aware of going into trying to trade for him. He's got, I think, three years left on his contract. And that's a lot of money to pay somebody who you don't know if he's going to retire or not. You need a strong commitment. That's the only thing that I would advise the Jets to do. Get a strong commitment from Aaron Rodgers to play out his contract. And hey, swing it. Might as well. I mean, it's either that or the Zach Wilson show. And we all saw how that went last year. He got benched two times. Twice. How do you get benched twice in a year? And he's a number two overall pick. So go ahead. Swing for the fences. Try to grab Aaron Rodgers. But let's highlight some loyalty here right now. And that is going to be our friend Geno Smith getting re-signed to a three-year, $105 million deal in Seattle. To me, I thought this was an awesome deal for both Geno and the Seahawks. Now, the three years, $105 mil, it's not going to be evenly paid over three years. He's going to get paid $50 million this year. So then the next two years, they only owe him the other $55 million. I think that sounds right. I can do math. But yeah, $50 million this year. So this way, in the next two years, if he doesn't pan out, he can cut bait. So this is good for Geno because he's getting a payday, the payday that he deserves. Now, this is a pro bowler, the comeback player of the year, the guy who got the Seahawks to the playoffs when everybody thought that they were going to go 3-14. and 14. And this is good for the Seahawks because they can test the quarterback market next year and the next year if Geno Smith doesn't pan out. To me, I think Geno will pan out. I do buy that he had a good year, and he's going to have a good next year. So this is a really good move by both sides, and I'm so happy to see him get another chance to be a starting quarterback. And we're keeping the happiness stories up right now. We've got another good story for you guys. Calvin Ridley has been reinstated officially by the NFL, and he's going to join the Jaguars this summer. Calvin Ridley got suspended for a year when he was with the Atlanta Falcons for gambling, and that was right before he took some personal time off. He has not really played in about a year and a half of football time. But hey, the Jags only traded a fourth and fifth. I think that fourth could turn into a conditional second based on if the Jags sign him to a longer deal. But that's a great pickup for the Jags. If he's anything like what he was when he was with the Falcons, we're talking about an 80-90 catch receiver with at least 1,000 yards. We've got Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, Calvin Ridley, Travis Etienne, a decent offensive line, and you've got T-Law, the truth, the prince that was promised. Shout out to Nick Wright. I love this Jaguars offense going into the next year. Their secondary is looking pretty decent. They could use a little up on the pass rush, but hey, there's some free agents out there. They've got a decent draft pick. I think that the Jags can make some noise next year. They obviously took the top off last year by making the playoffs and winning the division. What's to say that the Jags aren't Super Bowl contenders next year? You heard it here first. That's a pleasant, freezing cold take, so cold that it's boiling hot. The Jacksonville Jaguars are Super Bowl contenders next year. I'm calling it right here, right now. All right, and last but not least, we're going to talk about the franchise tag. And everybody that got franchise tag today, as well as a couple of deals. So let's go ahead and look through this list. We're going to go through four quick ones, and then we're going to talk about the big important ones. So the four franchise tags that are of note, that are outside of these two big signings, are Deron Payne with the Commanders. That was pretty much expected. They were not really going to come to an extension, but he's a good player. You've got Josh Jacobs with the Raiders. You've got Evan Ingram with the Jaguars and Tony Pollard with the Cowboys. All three of those offensive players are X-Factor players. They're not necessarily the number one guy. Now, Josh Jacobs 
did have a good year last year, but that was on a really bad Raiders team. So can he be an X-factor on a good Raiders team? I definitely think so. All three of those guys were worth the franchise tag, but the two big ones to come out were the quarterback decisions. We saw Lamar Jackson get franchise tagged, and we saw another quarterback walk away with a bag. So first up, Lamar Jackson got non-exclusive franchise tag. Now, what does that mean? That means that Lamar Jackson is technically franchise tagged under the Baltimore Ravens, but he has the right to basically be a restricted free agent and go out and try to find another team. Now, when he finds that other team, they have to offer him a contract that he wants to accept, and if he accepts that contract, the Ravens have two options. One, they can match the deal, and Lamar Jackson has to stay in Baltimore, or they can accept that deal from the other team, and that other team has to send two first-round picks to the Ravens. So I think the Ravens kind of let him do this in terms of tagging him this way because they want to see if other teams are going to offer him the deal that he wants. Now, the deal that he wants is kind of a Deshaun Watson deal. Deshaun Watson signed a five-year, $230 million contract with fully guaranteed money. And that's after he had a torn ACL and sexually assaulted at least 24 women according to a civil court settlement. No cap. $230 million guaranteed dollars. Lamar Jackson is an MVP, the winningest quarterback in terms of percentages in the last four years, and the Ravens won't offer him that. That's fine. He's had some injuries. I get it. But they non-exclusively franchise tagged him because they're trying to call his bluff. They don't believe that there is another team out there that is willing to sign Lamar Jackson for $230 million or more guaranteed dollars. So if Lamar Jackson can find that deal, I would be very surprised. There's not a lot of teams in the quarterback market that don't have a top pick looking for a young guy. But if he can find that deal, that's awesome for Lamar. He definitely deserves that money. He has played out of this world and brought infinite amounts of dollars to the Baltimore Ravens. So props to him. If the Baltimore Ravens end up non-exclusively franchise tagging him and letting him play, I hope that he has a great year and that he can hurt a big payday next year just like Dak Prescott did a few years ago. I'm not saying that Dak Prescott's not worth $40 million, but he definitely played his hand the right way. I think Lamar's doing the same thing, and that is why I support players going to get their money. All right, next up, we got a man that walked away with a bag. They call him Danny Dimes, Daniel Jones. But that's not his name. His name is Danny Duffelbag Boy. The man just walked away with a four-year, $160 million agreement. Now, obviously, that's nothing compared to what Deshaun Watson got. But guess what? Daniel Jones is nowhere near the caliber player that any of those players are in the top 10. He is going to have the seventh highest cap hit in the NFL this year. And I wouldn't qualify him as a top 16 QB. Now, the reason the Giants did this was because they're kind of loading up the money on the end and it's non-guaranteed dollars so they can kind of cut him later on. But still, if he can sort of play into mediocrity, he's probably going to get at least $120, $130 million out of the Giants. Horrible deal. But with that contract extension, the Giants were able to re-sign, I'm sorry, franchise tag Saquon Barkley. Now that, in my opinion, is a good move. Saquon has had some injuries, but he's come back and played great. I think he's got at least another year, if not maybe two, left in the tank as far as like prime running backs go. But the Giants 
took a page out of the Cowboys book and learned the lesson. You don't pay a running back big money, especially after they get out of their prime. Ezekiel Elliott walks away with a bag like Danny Dimes, but he has nowhere near performed up to that contract. So I think the Giants kind of realized that with Saquon. Not that he's not their franchise guy, not that he's not the face, but is he worth you know, paying him $60, $70 million over four or five years, and then he falls off after year two of that contract? Probably not. The Giants are making a smart move here, but I think that is attributed to what Brian Dable did last year with nothing. Now last in what we've got in our NFL news, there's not a lot of reporting going on about this because of everything that went on today, but Joe Mixon shot a child in his backyard. Now, apparently the children were reportedly trespassing and some other stuff happened, but if you ever talk about like the NFL being scripted and like everything's part of a storyline, there's no way that's possible, okay? What kind of writer is like, yeah, let's have Joe Mixon shoot a guy in his backyard? That happened? Okay, that's all I'm gonna say about that. Uh, there's obviously going to be more reports to come out. We'll keep you updated with that. But let's go ahead and move on to our college basketball coverage. We've got all of the player of the years from the big conferences, and then we're going to talk about my predictions for who is going to win the big six conference tournaments. They're not really going to shock you, but some of them could shock you. But I'm going to go ahead and list out all of the player of the years from each of the big six conferences. First up, we've got Brandon Miller winning SEC player of the year. Zach Eady winning Big Ten Player of the Year. Jalen Wilson winning Big 12 Player of the Year. Jamie Jacquez winning Pac-12 Player of the Year. Isaiah Wong winning ACC Player of the Year. And last but not least, Tyler Kolick winning Big East Player of the Year. Yes, the Big East is a Big Six conference. There's no such thing as a Power Five. I'm going to call it the Big Six. That's what I'm calling it. The Big East was the second best basketball conference in the entire NCAA this year. Don't even at me. I don't care what you have to say. That's my take, and I'm sticking to it. So let's go ahead and go through these conference tournaments and who I think is going to win them. We've already got some games going on right now. And, hey, if you guys watch that Georgia Tech-Florida State game, that was a hell of a game. You guys might want to go back and check that out. We had an absolute insane comeback. Georgia Tech down by 10, ended up winning 61-60. to Awesome game. March Madness is here, guys. Let's go ahead and get into these six big tournament winners. The Big East. I've got UConn winning this one. They're the best rebounding team, and they're the best rim-protecting team. So what does that mean when it comes to a tournament? Look, you're playing in a neutral site up in New York, and what do some players, especially shooters, not do well when you get there into a neutral site or an away game? Shoot the basketball. So what do you do to get these players' confidence up? You try to get them to the rack, get them a layup or something, and guess what? UConn averages the most blocks per game in the entire Big East. I think they're top 15 in the country. I'm buying this UConn team to win the tournament in the SEC, and I definitely think they're slept on a little bit when it comes to the actual March Madness tournament. I'm buying UConn. On to the ACC. We've got Duke, best defensive team in the ACC. I think Virginia has fallen off. I think Miami has fallen off. I don't buy either of those teams. Pittsburgh, Duke already beat them once. I think that Duke has got the talent, the coaching, and the atmosphere, as well as getting hot when it matters. They've won their last six. I like Duke to win this tournament, and I also like Duke to go ahead and push far into the NCAA tournament. Maybe not Final Four, maybe not Elite Eight, but definitely get into the Sweet 16. 
which is something that about halfway through the year, not a lot of people thought that they could do. In the Pac-12 now, we've got UCLA winning it all. And why? It's because what do you need when it comes to big tournament games? Veterans who have been there before. And UCLA has got that. They've got four senior major contributors. They've got a junior major contributor. And all of those guys have been in these spots. Big tournament spots, big game spots, and especially March Madness spots. Jamie Jaquez was in the game that they beat Alabama in four years ago, I'm pretty sure. So I'm buying this UCLA team. I think that they are the best team in the country right now. And I promise you that they're going to be in the Final Four. And I almost guarantee you that they're going to win the Pac-12 championship. UCLA, go ahead, maybe even book it. I might, you know what, book it. Book UCLA to win the Pac-12 tournament. Love it. Now, speaking of 12, we got the Big 12. And who do I have winning that? None other than Kansas. Why Kansas? Because they've got the best defense in the Big 12, and defense wins championships. Defense wins tournaments. And that is what's going to happen. I think that Jalen Wilson, a junior who was averaging 17 and 8, is going to absolutely tear it up in this tournament. He's probably going to win the MVP. Kansas doesn't have a hard field to go through, except for maybe Texas. Baylor's kind of falling off. Kansas State does not really play well on the road. And Iowa State definitely does not play well on the road. I think that Kansas wins this one and wins it pretty easily. Second to last, we just talked about 12. Now we're talking about Big, Big Ten. Who's going to win the Big Ten? This is probably one of the weakest years of the Big Ten, and it's because of a guy named Zach Eady for Purdue. He's averaging 23-12 and 12 and 2.3 blocks per game on over 50% shooting. The guy is an absolute monster in college basketball. Probably going to win player of the year overall in the entire league. I love Purdue. I don't like any other Big Ten team to win anything. The only team that I could think could give him a challenge would be Indiana, and Purdue does not do bad on the road, and they definitely don't do bad in neutral site games. I like Purdue to win this one, maybe not as easily as Kansas, but pretty easily. Now, last but not least, in the Big Six conferences, I've got Alabama winning the SEC tournament. Brandon Miller has played so tremendously well under the pressure of being one of the best players in the country, as well as all of the allegations, the slander, all of it. As far as this murder case goes, Brandon Miller has played through it all. Literally the day after he was accused of bringing the gun to Darius Miles, his teammate who shot and killed a woman in Tuscaloosa, he dropped 41 points in South Carolina. Now, does that mean that Brandon Miller is scot-free of all this stuff? No. But guess what? Regardless, as long as he's not suspended, Alabama is going to keep playing him, keep giving him shots, and he's going to keep showing up. The SEC is pretty weak. The powers that be, Kentucky and Tennessee, have kind of you know fallen off their power scale as far as years in the past. I don't think Arkansas is going to be able to put the pieces together as far as like Nick Smith Jr. I don't think that they're going to be a threat, but definitely Auburn, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State, they're not a threat either. Alabama is going to take the cake with this one. I'm buying this team big, and I think that they're going to be the overall number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Now, last but not least, we've got to talk about the quarterback battles in college football. We've got some major quarterback battles. Let's take a look at them. We've got quarterback battles at Ole Miss, Texas, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, UCLA, Nebraska, et cetera, et cetera. So the reason I'm bringing this up, I wanted to talk about, is it good for teams? Is it good for teams to have quarterback battles? 
I don't think I can think of any quarterback battle that has resulted in an SEC championship or a national championship, maybe outside of Jalen Hurts, his first year uh, with Blake Bortles, if you guys remember that, watching Alabama. I think that's about it. Maybe Jake Coker. Jake Coker is also a good quarterback battle. But it takes a tremendous leader to kind of battle through those things. And as far as the guys that I'm looking through, there's not a lot of like strong leaders before they take this position. So obviously you got to have some foresight here. I don't know too much about any of these players. The only players that I have any familiarity with is Joe Milton in Tennessee and Jalen Milrow at Alabama. Both seem like pretty good leaders, but outside of that, looking at like places like Ohio State and Georgia, really haven't heard a lot out of these recruits and these transfers. I think that Ole Miss is probably the most interesting one. You've got Spencer Sanders out of Oklahoma State transferring in. You've got Will Howard out of LSU transferring in. And then you've got Jackson Dart, who had a pretty good year last year at Ole Miss, trying to keep his starting job. That was absolutely insane. I don't know what Lane Kiffin was thinking with that, but maybe we're about to see a three-quarterback system here. We've seen two quarterback systems before. where You've got like the passer and the runner. Maybe you got the passer, the passer, runner, and then the runner. I don't know. But Ole Miss is going to be interesting. I don't think, going back to my main point, I don't think that this is good for any of these teams, and they need to get these problems solved sooner rather than later so that these starting quarterbacks can build chemistry with their teams and build experience with these teams in all types of situations. It's really, really hard to do that in the middle of a season, let alone right before the season starts. You want to get these things solved during training camp. Now, lastly, bestly, ladies and gentlemen, Plaisant's locks are back. We're locking it in. First up, Virginia Tech, minus 6.5 versus Notre Dame. Notre Dame is one of the worst teams in the ACC. I think they went 3-17 and 17 in conference play. Virginia Tech, they're not bad. They're not great, but they're not bad. But they've already beaten Notre Dame by 6 at Notre Dame. Now, this is not football. It's not hard to beat a team twice in college basketball. Give me the points and Virginia Tech, minus 6.5. We're riding with the Hokies. Next up, we've got Golden State, minus 4, versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. Why? The Warriors are on the road. That's kind of iffy, but Stephen Curry is back. Stephen Curry is back, ladies and gentlemen. And outside of that, the Warriors lineup looks pretty healthy. And Jalen Williams is going to be out for the Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm liking the Warriors' odds here. Oklahoma City has kind of fallen off. Outside of the two Utah Jazz wins that they just had, they were 0-5. Okay, I think that they're going to get crushed by this Warriors team who is turning up the heat as the season goes on. This Warriors team is a championship contender. This Thunder team is a play-in contender. There's a huge difference in my opinion, and this is the most important part of the regular season. And that's going to do it for this episode of Plitzalt's Podcast. Thank you guys all so much for tuning in. Click that like button, that follow button, and that subscribe button. And we'll see you next time.